Hello and welcome to History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Ashea, and this is... Aziz. Hey folks. On October 29th, this year, 2013, there will apparently be a new book in the Song of Ice and Fire world, but not one that deals with the storyline. Instead, the wit and wisdom of Tyrion Lannister focuses on a character whom many consider the series' funniest. We disagree! Personally, I'd put him at third funniest, with second being Dolorous Ed. First is Stannis Baratheon. Some of you are probably thinking we're crazy. And, I mean, we are, but not not because of this, really. I mean, the guys in the building I escaped from, the one with all the guys in white coats. I mean, they said I was crazy because they thought I was talking about drinking wildfire so I could turn into a dragon. Yes, they are Game of Thrones fans, but I think they're the crazy ones. Because wildfire isn't real, and there's nothing wrong with drinking antifreeze or any other green beverage. Going green is all the rage these days, and words are wind. I'm going to be green on the inside. <laughs> now that's being committed, and not the kind of being committed that you escape from. I'm apparently crazy because I happen to enjoy a bit of lead with my breakfast. People always tell me it makes me repeat things, but I tell them I happen to enjoy a bit of lead with my breakfast. Well, repetition is the key to comedy. Repetition is the key to comedy. So yeah, the wit and wisdom of Tyrion Lannister sounds cool and all, but we think the wit and wisdom of Stannis Baratheon would be just as good a book. But since it probably won't happen, we've put it together ourselves in podcast and video form. (laughs) Should we start with the wit or the wisdom? Alphabetically, wisdom comes first in a photo finish, really. Let's do both at the same time. Okay, I think I can do that. I need you to promise. No, swear it. I swear it. Do I need to make you swear an oath before a tree? No. Is that a jape? Okay, so actually we just pretended a quote from A Dance with Dragons was our real conversation. Mm. Really, it was Stannis asking John about taking an oath before the tree. To tell the truth, it's act- that's actually the 107th Stannis quote already this episode. Mm-hmm. May mm-hmm. the red gods strike me down if I'm lying. Nothing happened. See? Yep. I have the favor of lore, <laughs> but I'm not so sure about you listeners out there. We might burn one or two of you, and isn't that what Stannis' men would suggest? A sacrifice will prove our faith still burns true, sire, Clayton Suggs had told the king, and Godry the giant slayer said, The old gods of the north have sent this storm upon us. Only R'hllor can end it. We must give him an unbeliever. Half my army is made up of unbelievers, Stannis had replied. I will have no burnings. Pray harder. Aha, see? Wit and wisdom. <laughs> Keeping that vow so far. We learned that Stannis was basically born with a stick up his ass. He didn't ever lose his sense of humor, really. It seems he never had one. Stannis and Robert both witnessed their parents die in front of, in front of them, basically, when their ship went down in Shipbreaker's Bay in, in sight of land. And you might think that was made, what made him so humorless. While it did cause him to lose all faith in the gods, his own father wrote to Maester Cresson about the boy who, who became Patchface and said... Robert will be delighted with him, and perhaps in time he will even teach Stannis how to laugh. So we know Stannis had no sense of humor even before his parents' deaths. But somehow, despite never learning to laugh on his own, he does a damn good job making us laugh. <laughs> After Jano Slint suggests Stannis help the Night's Watch choose their, lord, their new Lord Commander... Stannis ground his teeth. It is not my wish to tamper with your rights and traditions. As for royal guidance, Janos, if you mean that I ought to tell your brothers to choose you, have the courage to say so. That took Lord Janos aback. 
He smiled uncertainly and began to sweat, but Bowen Marsh beside him said, Who better to command the black coat the black cloaks than a man who once commanded the gold, sire? Any of you, I would think. Even the cook Obviously another classic case of wit and wisdom. Perfect. Especially the wisdom. Yeah. Points out how terrible a Lord <laughs> Commander Slint would be to his face and does so by suggesting that literally everyone on the wall is a more capable leader than this soon to be headless oaf. He follows that gem up with this shortly after. If it happens that Lord Janos here is the best the Night's Watch can offer, I shall grit my teeth and choke him down. Stannis knew that Janos was corrupt and likely would have gotten rid of him had Tyrion not done it first. Stannis intended to get rid of much of the small council. He had dealt with them on a semi-regular basis as Robert, as Robert had given him a seat on the small council. It's a shame we never got to see Stannis at the small council, really. Imagine him bantering with Littlefinger and Varys and Pacell. <laughs> These men were willing to bend the rules a bit to, to get things done uh, when necessary or convenient or just because sometimes, I suppose. But Stannis says... Laws should be made out of iron, not pudding. <laughs> yeah, too bad there. <laughs> I think some pudding laws would, would, would go over pretty well, actually. Dallas, this was a big part of why Stannis... Uh, said he intended to scour the court clean, <laughs> getting rid of guys like that. All those guys are pretty much made of pudding, I would think. <laughs> Renly was on the small council, too, and though we don't see him speak with Stannis there, we do see them together in, early in A Clash of Kings. And there's some serious gold here, starting with the subject of Renly's marriage to Marjorie Tyrell. We both know your wedding was a mummer's farce. A year ago, you were scheming to make the girl one of Robert's whores. A year ago, I was scheming to make the girl Robert's queen, Renly said. But what does it matter? The boar got Robert, and I got Marjorie. You'll be pleased to know she came to me a maid. In your bed, she's like to die that way. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> Soon after, we have Stannis pointed his shining sword at his brother. I'm not without mercy, thundered he who was notoriously without mercy. <laughs> and shortly after, Renly laughed. Stannis, that's a very pretty sword, I'll grant you, but I think the glow of off of it has ruined your eyes. Look across the fields, brother. Can you see all those banners? Do you think a few bolts of cloth will make you king? <laughs> the TV show sadly robbed Stannis of most of his humor, but they did give Renly one great line during this parlay that wasn't in the books. Melisandre says, You should kneel before your brother. He is the Lord's chosen, born amidst salt and smoke. Born amidst salt and smoke? Is he a ham? <laughs> Stannis' memories of that final conversation with Renly are actually a bit funny, too, despite the melancholy. The king gave a shake of his head, like a dog shaking a rabbit to snap its neck. Only Renly could vex me so with a piece of fruit. <laughs> he brought doom upon himself with his treason. But I did love him, Davos. I know that now. I swear, I will go to my grave thinking of my brother's peach. That peach was sorely missed in the show, by the way. <laughs> it really was. Stannis' wisdom, no matter how bountiful, can teach us nothing if we don't heed the lessons contained therein. Take a moment and seriously consider this question. Who in your life can vex you so with a piece of fruit? You. Yeah, well, anyone can vex me with a banana, I tell you. That's easy. I'm, I'm easily vexed by, by uh, that particular piece of fruit. <laughs> so, Stannis does feel a bit guilty, but he eventually manages to dismiss his feelings on the matter of Renly and what could have been. Stannis shifted in his seat, frowning. Was, would have, what is that? He did what he did. He came here with his banners and his peaches. <laughs> Those damn peaches. <laughs> of course. Stannis had reflections on his other dead brother as well. Despite Stannis having a reputation for brutal honesty, 
there seems to be a bit of a double standard here. Robert could piss in a cup and men would call it wine, but I offer them pure cold water and they squint in suspicion and mutter to each other about how queer it tastes. Stannis ground his teeth. If someone said that I magicked myself into a boar to kill Robert, likely they would believe that as well. Snowed in and a bit desperate, Sir Richard Horp tries to suggest what Robert would do in their place. Your grace, your brother! The king cut him off. We all know what my brother would do. Robert would gallop up to the gates of Winterfell alone, break them with his war hammer, and ride through the rubble to slay Roose Bolton with his left hand and the bastard with his right. Of course. <laughs> it's a terrible idea to bring up Robert with Stannis in general, mm. especially if you want something from him. Asha Greyjoy learns this the hard way when she has to be freed in exchange for her help in taking Winterfell. Strike off these irons and help me, and let me help you take it, sire. Your grace's royal brother was renowned for turning fallen foes into friends. Make me your man. The gods did not make you a man. How can I? <laughs> Occasionally, Stannis throws in a barb about his brother, even when Robert probably doesn't belong in the conversation in the first place. Such as when discussing Arnold Car- uh, Arnolf Karstark. <laughs> the rigors of the campaign may well kill him. He has heirs, Stannis snapped. Two sons, six grandsons, some daughters. If Robert had fathered true-born sons, many who are dead might still be living. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit, a little bit of hypocrisy there, though. Uh, two of Stannis' sons were shadow babies, and one of them was a kinslayer. Poor Uncle Renly. <laughs> but the other point, uh, perhaps a bit hidden, is that Stannis drops several clues that he's not that interested in being king. <laughs> that he believes in the rule of law and in being dutiful towards his family and to the realm in general. Here he waxes philosophical about the situation Robert has left him in. Have you ever seen the Iron Throne? The barbs along the back, the ribbons of twisted steel, the jagged ends of of swords and knives all tangled up and melted? It is not a comfortable seat, sir. Ares cut himself so often, men took to calling him King Scab, and Magor the Cruel was murdered in that chair. By that chair, to hear some tell it. It is not a seat where a man can rest at ease. Oft times I wonder why my brothers wanted it so desperately. Why would you want it then? Davos asked him. It is not a question of wanting. The throne is mine, as Robert's heir. That is law. After me, it must pass to my daughter, unless Salise should finally give me a son. He ran three fingers lightly down the table, over the layers of smooth, hard varnish, dark with age. I am king. Wants do not enter into it. I have a duty to my daughter, to the realm, even to Robert. All that said, Stannis is willing to follow his brother's lead sometimes. <laughs> Without a son of Winterfell to stand behind, beside me, I can only hope to win the North by battle. That requires stealing a leaf from my brother's book. Not that Robert ever read one. <laughs> Stannis saves a bit of wit for his father's false children, too. When he finds out that Gilly was impregnated by Craster, he says... Her own father got this child on her? Well, we are well rid of her, then. I will not suffer such abominations here. This is not King's Landing. (laughs) Okay, admit it. Some of you were misled by his harsh attitude, iron will, and that distinct finger-chopping sense of justice to the degree that the humor slipped under your radar. That's okay. Even Jon Snow says it's hard to tell if Stannis is japing or not. So you may may be a lot like Jon Snow, actually. Hmm, You ever think about that? That could be a good thing. Well... Uh, don't worry too much about the stabbing thing, though. Some of the best Stannis lines come in scenes with Jon Snow, in fact. Stannis uses Jon's reaction as a guide. I have a mind to march against the Dreadfort. When he saw the shock on Jon's face, he smiled. Does that surprise you? 
What surprises one snow may yet surprise another. What surprises one snow may yet surprise another. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> John tries to convince Stannis not to assault the Dreadfort, but fails at first, saying, Then you mean to go ahead with this attack? Despite the counsel of the great Lord Snow, I. John also is unable to sway Stannis on the matter of the wildlings at first as well. The free folk despise kneelers, he had warned Stannis. Let them keep their pride and they will love you better. His grace would not listen. He said, it is swords I need from them, not kisses. <laughs> to make a point, John begins to recite the Night's Watch oath, but Stannis isn't having it. Don't prate your words at me, Stannis drew the blade he called Lightbringer. Here is your sword in the darkness. Light rippled up and down the blade, now red, now yellow, now orange, painting the king's face in harsh, bright hues. Even a green boy should be able to see that. Are you blind? No, sire, I agree these castles must be garrisoned. The boy commander agrees. How fortunate. <laughs> the two actually have quite a bit in common. <laughs> yeah. They're both extremely stubborn, they're both very dutiful, and they're both sour, you could <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you haggle like a crone with a codfish, Lord Snow. Did Ned Stark father you on some fishwife? Of course, that comment was uh, meant to connect us to the tale of told to Davos by Lord Godric Burrell of Sweet Sister and Sisterton, <laughs> the story where Ned Stark supposedly impregnated a fisherman's daughter during his escape back north at the outset of Robert's Rebellion. You know, I don't believe that tale. It's, it's pretty fishy. Ugh. You might even call it a red herring. Oh, God. George, I think George did that on purpose to make people <laughs> yeah. make bad jokes about that once they figured it out. That uh, would be, yeah. He's he's that clever. Those are the, those are the layers <laughs> that he he put gives yes, us. Yes, a nice here. red herring. <laughs> John is not afraid to speak his mind to Stannis, really, uh, and Stannis respects that because Stannis values honesty as much as anyone, perhaps more than anyone, really. He's also, uh, rather, he's the only he smiled a few times in the book. Stannis says, and perhaps his whole life, <laughs> uh, we only found one uh, example of him laughing. But those smiles and that laugh came from dealing with people who stood up to him. And not because of some joke or some. Obviously, he doesn't have a sense of humor. It was somebody actually having the, the gumption to, to tell him things to his face that he might not rather hear or how harsh the truth would be. Here's an example. I am no lord, sire. You came because we sent for you, I hope. Though I could not say why you took so long about it. Surprisingly, Stannis smiled at that. You're bold enough to be a Stark. Yes, I should have come sooner. If not for my hand, I might not have come at all. Lord Seaworth is a man of humble birth, but he reminded me of my duty when all I could think of was my rights. I had the cart before the horse, Davo said. I was trying to win the throne to save the kingdom when I should have been trying to save the kingdom to win the throne. Mm -hmm. This one laugh uh, comes a bit later when John turns the tables on Stannis by asking for soldiers in response to the king asking for castles. By the way, though, that Stannis line where he says, I, you know, he was thinking of his rights when he should have been thinking of his duty is one of my favorite... What clinched my love for Stannis was that right there, him saying that. That is, like, a, yeah. that is a great yeah. Stannis quote. Forget yeah. humor, all things aside. That's definitely a good wisdom one right there. Yes. That's a, a guy who's showing that he's trying to be the leader for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, that he, he's, you know, and he really does prove it by going to the wall. Like, yeah. He's really... It, probably that was a pivotal moment for a lot of people. I think. I'm Even really excited quote. for this next season. There's going to be a lot of Stannis fans after this. Yeah, next I think season. so too. And we're, and we're doing our part to <laughs> help make Stannis more popular. Anyways, so the one time <laughs> that Stannis has laughed, Stannis stared at him incredulously, then gave a bark of laughter. You are bold enough, Snow. I grant you that. But you're mad if you think my men will take the black. Of course, though, we aren't the only ones who took note of Stannis and Jon's mutual respect. Melisandre does too, telling John, Your grace is growing fond of you. I can tell. He only threatened to behead me twice. 
Melisandre laughed. It is his silences you should fear, not his words. Those threats are tests of a sort, the way I see it. Stannis hates weakness, and as a demanding and thorough leader, he looks for it, tries to stamp it out. <laughs> At one point, Davos thinks... Stannis Baratheon was not a man, uh, was a man of iron will. Huh, not a man, he's a man of pudding will. No. Stannis Baratheon was a man of iron will who neither understood nor forgave weakness in others. And of course, there are also parallels in the family lives of John and Stannis. Both were passed over in a sense, John by his true-born siblings. Stannis was slighted <laughs> when Renly was given Storm's End by Robert, and he felt he should have been hand over Ned Stark. Then, obviously, Renly crowned himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so. was the big one, probably. Stannis <laughs> is like on the level of bastard with how little his, his siblings His personality to is care. so unpleasant that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as he said it himself, he does not command loyalty. All he commands is, is disloyalty. <laughs> uh, uh, despite being traditionalists in many ways, John and Stannis are not afraid to do things differently, uh, to make radical changes in the face of new challenges. Similarly, they are both perhaps a little blind to the friction caused by said radical changes, particularly among the followers of theirs that have deeply held beliefs, uh, the conservative types perhaps, the, the older men or just the ones who are more devout. Uh, among other things, John tries to get the watch to abandon perhaps 8,000 years of viewing the wildlings as mortal enemies, and he's just like, you have to do this. You know, uh, It's a good idea you know, on paper, but he's got to realize how big he's gotta be more likable about it and yeah, more he, clear he says one time he says if, if we don't bring him over they'll turn into you know they'll turn they'll turn into whites that's he a says great that point. like one time that's a great point you should say that every time mm-hmm. someone says something to you. you should be like do you want more whites or do you want wildlings but he doesn't and status yeah. likewise goes against several thousand more years of andal tradition the worth of worship of the seven while simultaneously throwing the old gods under the bus too um, a burning bus, it must be, I would think. Uh, a, red, a burning red bus. Uh, Melisandre burns the Seven and then later burns the Heart Tree at Storm's End. So she's burning, destroying all the all the Trevi's traces of any other gods. No, no, no uh, peaceful coexisting here bumper sticker on her car. <laughs> there's some, there's no small amount of irony in Stannis' con- conversion, though, as he's a man who respects loyalty more than most. While so many notable men have converted to Rulor, note that Stannis mostly relies on those who did not convert to the Red God. In fact, he's somewhat dismissive of those who abandoned the Seven, even though he's done it himself. But he gave up on the Seven long ago, when his parents died in front of him. He knows, perhaps subconsciously, that most people don't have an excuse near as strong as his, so he looks down upon them. Perhaps hypocritically. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Obviously, Melisandre is not included in this, as she is a true believer, not a convert. His wife, Selyse, however, no man will withstand him. Be quiet, woman. You are not at a night fire now. <laughs> Shea just called me woman. Did you hear that? <laughs> well, if that's the case, Joffrey shall die, Queen Selyse <laughs> declared, serene in her confidence. It may be that he's dead already, Sir Axel added. Stannis looked at them with annoyance. Are you trained crows to croak at me in turns? Enough. And after the Red Wedding. It was the Lord's wrath that slew him, Sir Axel declared. It was the hand of Relor. Praise the Lord of Light. I'll do your Solis voice, too. <laughs> Sang out Queen Solis, a pinched, thin, hard woman with large ears and a hairy upper lip. Is the hand of Relor spotted and palsied, asked Stannis. This sounds more like Walder Frey's handiwork than any god's. <laughs> the purple wedding wasn't long after, of course, and Stannis opines, Weddings have become more perilous than battles, it would seem. <laughs> Indeed. 
For further proof that Stannis doesn't really trust the converted Red God followers, who did Stannis entrust as the Castellan of Dragonstone, the Bastard of Nightsong, Sir Rollin Storm, who is said to worship the warrior with a face as fierce as he is. Sir Rollin was recruited to help smuggle Edric Storm away from Dragonstone by an even more significant worshipper of the Seven, a man who was completely appalled at the thought of abandoning them. We're speaking, of course, of Lord Davos Seaworth, Hand of the King. When Davos is named Hand, he can hardly believe it and questions whether Stannis' lords will recognize his authority. I am Lowborns, Davos reminded him. An up-jumped smuggler. Your lords will never obey me. Then we will make new lords. But, I mean, I, I cannot read nor write. Mr. Pylos can read for you. As to writing, my last hand wrote the head off his shoulders. In the show's version of the scene, Stannis observes... I expect you'll be the first crabber's son to wear the badge. A little bit of Stannis humor in the show. Yeah, a little bit. They gave him some. Tiny bit. <laughs> Stannis loves to give nicknames, it seems. He calls Lord Wyman Manderly Lord Too Fat to Sit a Horse. Hosting Frey, Sayer Stupid. <laughs> and he's not unlikely to be the coiner of the term Onion Knight in the first place. Back when Davos was just that and not Hand of the King, he and Stannis discussed the letter declaring Joffrey's bastardy. The letter. What did your lords make of it, I wonder? Stannis snorted. Celtigar pronounced it admirable. If I showed him the contents of my privy, he would declare that admirable as well. <laughs> he and Stannis have a conversation that reveal a lot about how they feel about the issue of gods. Davos is clearly nervous to bring up his feelings, and Stannis perceives that. You have more to say about the letter. Well, get on with it. I did not make you a knight so you could learn to mouth empty courtesies. I have my lords for that. Say what you would, Davos. Davos bowed his head. There was a phrase at the end. How did it go? Done in the light of the Lord. Yes. The king's jaw was clenched. Your people will mislike those words. As you did, said Stannis sharply. If you were to say instead, done in the sight of gods and men, by the grace of gods old and new? Have you gone devout on me, smuggler? That was to be my question of you, my liege. Was it now? It sounds as though you love my new god no more than you love my new maester. I do not know this lord of light, Davos admitted. But I knew the gods would burn this morning. The seven has kept the smith, rather, the smith has kept my ship safe, while the mother has given me seven strong sons. Your wife has given you seven strong sons. Do you pray to her? It was wood we burned this morning. <laughs> Soon after, Stannis said, "There will be no more begging and no more laughing either." I'll beg to differ with you there, Stannis, by providing more funny quotes that you made. So wrong on both counts, there, jaw clencher. Similar to the manner of gods, Stannis doesn't have much respect for people who sw- switch allegiance too easily. Uh, soon after Renly's death, you know, many lords flock to his cause, and they give him advice on how to take Storm's End. He is not terribly interested in what they have to say, telling them... You chatter like magpies, and with less sense. <laughs> Apart from Davos and John, Melisandre is perhaps the only other person we see Stannis afford any respect to, but he still barks at her in ways that are pretty darn funny. I'll hear no more of this. The dragons are done. The Targaryens tried to bring them back half a dozen times and made fools of themselves or corpses. Patchface is the only fool we need on this godforsaken rock. You have the leeches. Do your work. When rumors arise about what Stannis means to do with the abandoned Night's Watch castles, he asks Jon, Who told you that? The talk was all over, Castle Black. If you must know, I had the tale from Gilly. Who is Gilly? The wet nurse, said Lady Melisandre. Your grace gave her freedom of the castle. Not for running tails. She's wanted for her teats, not her tongue. I'll have more milk from her and fewer messages. <laughs> well, 
I'm going to leave you today with a quote from the show on the eve of the Battle of Blackwater. While most would have been nervous, as Stannis is still well... Stannis. Perhaps he is nervous and anxiety turns him into a bit of a grammar Nazi. <laughs> Do your knuckle bones bring you luck? My life's been good since you hacked them off, your grace. And it's four less fingernails to clean. Four fewer fingernails to clean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that's all for today, folks. Some of you were probably expecting a different episode, as we had posted about some episodes we have in the work on Facebook, but we had scheduling problems with our guest. These days, we keep a backup episode or two prepared, so when something like this happens, we still have something for you all. We're intending to keep on a schedule of an episode every two weeks, usually on Sunday. We're working on a website as well. Uh, and though it's fairly early in the process, we're excited about the ability to bring more mm. content and to have all our video and audio episodes in one place, things like that. Yeah, I mean, we're even planning on having our own forums along with the website, which is something that I do a lot of work on, the behind the scenes I do, yeah, most of the that. tech <laughs> stuff. But yeah, we're trying to figure all that out. Yep. It's very overwhelming trying to deal with all the breadth of stuff out there, but, mm-hmm, but we'll get there, there for sure. Uh, these things, uh, they do cost money, however, mm-hmm. and while banner ads and a web store or something like that will eventually cover a lot of our costs, uh, we got to get over that hump in the first place. So uh, if you would like to donate to History of Westeros podcast, you can go to historyofwesteros.tumblr.com and click donate, which will take you to PayPal. You are not actually required to sign up for Tumblr to do that, um, but if you do, go ahead and uh, follow mm-hmm. us on there while you're at it. Mm-hmm. And as always, you can find us at Westeros History on Twitter mm-hmm. and History of Westeros on Facebook. And thank you for listening to History of Westeros podcast. Aziz waved.